Welcome to Eczema Out Loud from the National Eczema Association. I'm Danny Morsehead. Welcome to the second episode of this two-part series on eczema in infants. I'm here with Rachel Lee Holstein, and we're excited to be joined by Dr. Harper Price. Dr. Price is here to answer some of our questions about the care and treatment of eczema in infants. Dr. Price, would you start us off with an introduction? My name is Harper Price. I'm a pediatric dermatologist at Phoenix Children's Hospital. I've been here for about 12 years. I run our fellowship as well as uh, serve as the division chief of the Department of Dermatology here. And I have lots of interests, including medical management of atopic dermatitis or eczema, and especially uh, more severe patients and using systemic medication. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much me. Great. Thanks so much. We're going to be talking about infants today. So I'll start us off with a question about the types of eczema that affects infants and how it might differ from other forms of eczema. You know, the most common time for us to see eczema presentation is an infant. So the vast majority of patients present before five years of age and a significant amount in the first one to two years of life. So that is really our bread and butter as pediatric dermatologists. And I just want to say for the audience sake that when we talk about eczema, we are talking about atopic dermatitis, uh, which is uh, you know, a particular uh, type of eczema. Over time, this does change. The presentation changes if you've had eczema since you were a baby, or uh, you know, if someone suddenly developed eczema at four or five, it's it's different than an infant. So infants tend to present with very kind of weepy, red, scaly, itchy plaques. The face is very predominant. The cheeks, um, you know, the um, the outsider we call the extensors of the arms and legs. Um, whereas when you get older, it changes a little bit, it changes location. And usually the diaper area is fared. That's a really good uh, way to also know we're dealing with atopic dermatitis. Not that you can't have diaper rashes as an infant, but usually it's not from eczema. Um, scalps can also be problematic uh, with eczema in, in babies as well. So it, it does change over time. It's often confused with infection, I think, because the eczema in babies tends to be very weepy or swollen. The word eczema actually means in Greek to boil over. Uh, so that's very different as compared to as kids get older, it tends to have more of a dry, thick consistency. And oftentimes we find in babies too that a lot of the eczema is colonized with staph bacteria. That's not to worry anybody or, or make anybody concerned about a more severe infection, but we do find that flares in infants uh, are particularly correlated with the amount of bacteria on the skin. Um, now, every baby that has weepy eczema is not infected, and that's really important to know that we need to treat the eczema as well as prevent infection. So when we talk about treatment for infants, how does that treatment differ from, say, the treatment of an, a child with eczema or an older patient? Yeah, Danny, it's really the same in childhood and adolescent and infants. What I teach my families and my patients are they're kind of four main pillars of treating atopic dermatitis or eczema. These are really important for parents to grasp because if you don't kind of address all of them, you may not be successful in helping your child. And so the the main 
kind of hallmark or prevention that we have of atopic dermatitis right now, because remember, we don't have a cure yet, um, is what we call barrier repair. So inherently, uh, infants and young children have skin that doesn't retain water very well. And so it gets very dry and that's the beginning of the eczema cycle. And so using a very thick, what we call emollient, a thick moisturizer cream or ointment, I especially really like ointments um, in young children um, is just a hallmark of what uh, is expected and what we need to do. And sometimes it's several times a day that we ask of parents and I know it's a lot. Uh, but that's really, really important to prevent flares and to seal the moisture into the skin. We also like to generally bathe infants every day or every other day, depending on the parent's schedule. We like to do plain water baths, you know, five or 10 minutes, soak really well, um, get all that, you know, you know, scabbing and weeping off the skin, hopefully get some bacteria off there and then um, seal it in with a very thick moisturizer ointment. Um, even petrolatum jelly is great. It's cheap. Um, it's inert, it's not toxic, so that's okay to pull, put all over. The second kind of pillar of treatment, as I like to call it, is treating the inflammation. So what you're seeing when your baby's itchy and scratchy and wiggling and rubbing on you is, um, is the sign, is the infl inflammation of eczema. So it's all those inflammatory chemicals and itchy substances released in the skin. So in order to treat that, Unfortunately, for most children and babies, especially the moisturizer doesn't do enough. And so if you're really say, hey, I'm I'm greasing up my baby all the time, Dr. Price, like you told me to, and they're still itchy and they're still red, then we really have to add an anti-inflammatory. And for, for most children, those are topical corticosteroids. And these are not the kind that make you grow muscles or make you a star athlete. These are um, you know, corticosteroids similar to what is made by your own body in a topical form. And when used uh, under the direction of a, of a physician who knows eczema and, and, and pediatric patients, these are very safe. We tend to use these twice a day, at least I do. I use them as the top layer on the eczema affected areas. And then I put the moisturizer over top and then kind of moisturizer all over the body. And the strength of those medications and the types will really be determined about by where your child's eczema is, how long they've had it and how bad it is. Um, and there are other non-steroid medications too, I should mention even one approved down to two months of age. So there are alternatives, especially for patients that are more severe and need a break from those topical steroids or may need a maintenance regimen. Third pillar, preventing infection. We talked about that bacteria play a big role in really just keeping this cycle going of the eczema and the flares and the eczema and the flares, kind of like a hamster just running on the wheel. There's nothing to stop it. And so in addition to really trying to keep the eczema clear, because if the eczema is clear, the bacteria have nowhere to go. Um, but we also really like to prevent infection using dilute uh, uh, sodium hypochlorite or household bleach baths. And I think um, NEA has very good information on the website or they used to about that. And that's something you can do daily or a couple times a week. It's not toxic. Uh, it sounds crazy. People often look at me like I have 10 heads when I bring that up. Um, but um, it really is very helpful, I would say, in the majority of patients. Um, and it really helps itching and inflammation too, we're finding out. So it's not probably just getting rid of the extra bacteria that might be driving your baby's eczema. And then the last one, Danny, is um, the fourth pillar is, you know, avoiding things that are making, potentially making your child worse. Remember that babies, you know, especially young babies that have eczema from early in life, this is very genetic um, and, and lots of other factors that are, you know, really beyond this discussion. But um, it's, it's, 
it's not necessarily a food allergy or something you're putting on the skin, but we need to make sure that everything goes on that baby's skin, everything on your skin that might be touching that baby, things that are in the air at home, dander, environmental things, that everything's hypoallergenic. And if you notice something seems to bother your baby's skin, uh, let your doctor know so that we can help you uh, find a substitute. Um, you know, less is more in this case, um, less ingredients, hypoallergenic products, hypoallergenic detergents, all of that stuff is why I tell my families just to make sure that nothing we're doing is making our child worse inadvertently. Great. Thanks so much for the treatment overview. And we have Rachel Lee here with us, who is the parent of Amara, her baby girl, who does have eczema. And I'm sure Rachel has some questions for you. So I'll turn things over to her and let her ask. Hi, Rachel. Hi, thanks so much for participating on, not only on this podcast, but all the educational things that you do for NIA community members and the people we serve. I know how active you are and we're grateful. And, and as a parent, I'm grateful to have access to the information that you share. Uh, my daughter is currently seven months old and she developed eczema when she was just around two months old. So a trajectory that I'm sure you're familiar with. And um, a few things that came up for me and that I know come up for other parents too is prompt me to ask, what do you say to parents like me who are nervous and anxious about having to put topical steroids on our child twice a day, um, particularly under a year old? Yeah, that's a that's probably the biggest hurdle you nailed right there, Rachel. Is mm -hmm. steroid phobia. Um, it sounds yeah. crazy. You have this little baby who's naive yeah. to everything, and I'm saying, you know, put these three creams, put this there, put that there, do that. Uh, number one, I know that we ask you as parents a ton of things to do, and um, and we realize that as physicians that it's a huge uh, amount, a weight that we put on you uh, to take care of, you know, your, your infant with eczema. Um, congratulations on, on her, by the way. <laughs> um, Thank you. You know, the, the first thing um, to know is that it, you have to build that trust with your provider, right? I think there has to be a shared decision-making between the family and the physician or the provider about, um, you know, what this is, that it's gonna be safe for your child. And, and I think personally, I, you know, I don't have children. Um, and so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have that same perspective as you do, but I've treated a lot of babies with eczema and a lot of families. And I really enjoy the relationships that I develop with these families. And I just think the trust is the most important thing. I think sometimes you have to take a little bit of a leap and know that I'm going to try this the way that doctor says to do it and hope that this works and keep a really close follow-up so that when you get nervous, when you have those questions, when either things aren't going right, um, that you can ask those questions and we can continue to go over those concerns that you have and fears. And those are completely normal. I mean, we call steroid phobia is even in P our colleagues in, P in pediatrics and other things. Um, we do this every day. And, you know, I know that's not a convincing statement, but we have lots of studies down to very small ages that say that when topical steroids are used appropriately, meaning all only on the active eczema, not all over the body uh, generally. So if, if your baby's got, you know, 10% body surface area, we're not putting on 90 or hundred percent, right? We're only putting it on the affected areas. Mm -hmm. We're sealing it with the moisturizer all over. We are doing all the other things I talked about so that, you know, we're not just treating the inflammation, but we're, 
sealing the barrier or preventing infection, all those things that could be driving it. We don't want to miss those things because we're just going to then keep treating and treating and treating and there's no end point. And the goal really of the therapy and as parents is, is what I stress to, to my families is that there should be periods of clearance uh, for most children. So you treat until clear and then you stop the topical steroids so you get a break and then you continue to moisturize and do all those other good things. And the hope is that when parents kind of buy in and start doing that, that they see, okay, wow, you know, I may only need to use this for a few days or a week and we get two or three weeks clear. And that's always the hope. Not everybody follows that. There are some children that are certainly much more severe we have to work with. Um, I think a lot of times too, uh, with parents like yourself, if there is a lot of hesitancy that I will bring in those non-steroid alternatives like Crisoboral or Eucrisa or Protopic or Ellerdo, which are Pemecrolimus or Tacrolimus to kind of add in there. The um, Eucrisa or Crisoboral has actually been studied down at two months of age. That's, that's really nice to know. And um, there are very few steroids that are studied down to two, three months of age, but there are a few. Um, but really the way that I try to emphasize is we're hopefully putting in this on a small body surface area. It's intermittent, but however, probably long-term use, but intermittently with breaks, um, with, with clear skin and kind of seeing how things go. And the hope is that when you're doing all those other things, you're going to rely less and less on these topical steroids and more on all those other things I talked about to keep your baby clear. Does that, does that answer? Does that help? It does. Yes. I I want to say everything that you said makes sense. And we're really lucky that we had a pediatric dermatologist that takes a collaborative approach. I will say um, that there are words that you're using that are hard for me to interpret as a parent, such as when it's clear. My daughter's skin is never completely clear. Do you know what I mean? And so when I hear those instructions from a provider like you, who obviously cares, it makes sense intellectually. But then I go back to work with my daughter and I'm, and I think to myself, is this clear? Is that, you know, what constitutes clear? Like she's still itching and scratching, but she's not itching and scratching as badly. So a lot of it is really subjective. And I sit there at home trying to think like a doctor and I'm not a doctor you know? No, that's, that's a really good point. And I think we do, or at least I do spend a lot of time. And it sounds like your dermatologist did too, to talk about what's clear, um, what's activity. And it is subjective. The way that I teach it, you can tell me whether this is something that you think is helpful to parents too, because I love having your feedback, honestly, if you can see it, feel it, or you can observe it. So and you're right, this may be all the time for your baby. Um, you may never get to that, you know, quote unquote clear. And that's important for your doctor to know. Um, but if, you know, you can see eczema visually with your eyes, it can be harder in, ki- in kids that have darker skin. Um, but it, it usually looks red or pink. Importantly, too, I teach that as eczema goes away in some children, there is sort of a pigment or color change in the skin. It looks splotchy. And so that we have to teach you too is we don't we don't want to treat pigment changes we want to treat active eczema so red or pink or signs of inflammation like you said observation itchy moving around rubbing the face like when you take the diaper off scratching the legs you kind of observe for discomfort 
And even if you don't see eczema, one of my big things is, and they're scratching, it's there. And so I recommend treating that because there's a lot of microscopic or very small amounts of inflammation under that skin that hasn't come to the surface yet. And we actually know that by biopsy studies, Amy Paller did some nice work that showed even distant from the eczema, when they looked at what looked like normal skin to the eye, there was actually inflammation there. And so I don't say that to discourage you. I only say that what you're seeing is so correct that they may be itchy. Your child may be itchy without any signs of eczema that you can actually see. So that should still be treated. Um, and then, you know, what you can feel. So I always teach parents during bath time or when you have that time where you're, you've got your steroid tubes and your moisturizers out on the changing table and you're feeling your baby is to almost do, whether it's a massage you're doing or putting the, the creams on, is to feel. If it feels rough or dry or bumpy, um, that's also what you treat. So red, rough, bumpy, pink, itchy, scratch marks, um, those are things that I teach my families um, to do. And that's what you said, Rachel, is really important, is I can't really ever get to that clear part that you're talking about. That, to me, would signal that perhaps I haven't given you the right strength of topical steroid, the right one, or that we need to do something when your baby has that low-level smoldering eczema that you just can't get clear, that we can't get clear, that we need some kind of maintenance medicine that's not a topical steroid that you can feel comfortable putting on that's not going to get absorbed to really get the rest of that down chronically to get that inflammation down. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I would handle uh, what you're telling me. Thank you. Yeah. Another question that I have is related to allergy testing. Allergy testing in an infant under a year old, how do you use allergy testing? How do you collaborate with your colleagues who are allergists? Um, what do you recommend? And especially during this first year, when as parents we're introducing, we sh are supposed to be introducing our children to foods for the first time to eat independently. Where do you see allergy testing fitting into the process of caring for an infant? Yeah, I think that's one of the most confusing things to both, you know, providers and, and families alike. It's really easy to chase things. You know, when we talk about that, that pillar of triggers, right, does anything seem to make your baby's eczema worse? You know, we have to sort that out together. And it often takes a lot of questioning, a lot of thought. What I really tell parents to look for is, um, especially when you're introducing new foods, um, is to look for what we call hives or urticaria. And so if you gave your, if you, your baby six months or seven months and you're starting, you're introducing new things, um, every couple of days and you see a reaction that's pretty quick. It's going to be within you know minutes to an hour, probably quicker swelling of the face, lips, hives, you know, um, that is something I want to know what exactly you gave your baby and let's sort through that. And I would definitely consider testing for whatever it is that, that was introduced there. And because of that, I tell families, don't give five new things at once, right? Because so the most common reaction to, to show you that your child has a food allergy is actually hives and swelling. It's very unusual to actually say, well, um, I gave my baby raspberries yesterday for the first time, and it just seems like the next few days the eczema was worse. That's a hard thing, right? Because we know eczema ebbs and flows, and um, it's that's a very rare phenomenon. It does exist. Um, but I really consider that in more of my severe babies that no matter what I've thrown at them, 
what strengths and what medications that I can't get them clear, then I do worry more about that kind of presentation. But think hives, think swelling, think immediate reaction. Um, there's also that phenomenon where, um, as you know, because you have a seven-month-old, food gets on the face and on the hands all the time. Mm -hmm. And I always tell parents, if I sat around with, you know, baby food on my face or tomato sauce on my face, um, we would all have rashes on our face. And so there is what's called an irritant reaction where the food actually sits on the face and is not causing a true allergy is really just causing an irritation. And that's something to sort out. It's a lot of questioning between you and me, pictures, what happened after, um, you know, that kind of thing. And I often recommend when you're getting ready to feed your child and they're, and you want their hands in the food and the, you know, the, the cereals and the puffs and all that stuff to put a good coating of Vaseline jelly or petrolatum around the face, around the mouth, particularly, and on the hands. We, what we think the way that kids get sensitized to these foods is through the skin. Um, so, you know, creating that barrier if your child has eczema all around here in the hands so that those food proteins don't get through to, to the skin and then to the bloodstream is, is, you know, something that I emphasize. And then, you know, I think, I think lastly, it's really, if, if we can't sort eczema out and let's see, you know, your baby's just severe, no matter what we try, I will directly refer to allergy to help me sort that out. But no longer should doctors just be blanketly checking blood tests or doing prick tests on anybody with eczema, nor switching formulas. Um, that isn't really evidence-based. And I'll tell you, when you worry about a food allergy in your gut is when babies have a lot of diarrhea and blood in the stools or foamy, fatty stools. That's a totally different um, thing, you know, that usually, um, again, has to be managed by GI and allergy, having a milk or protein, milk protein intolerance or something like that. Um, so those are all the questions I ask my families, and I and I will refer them early to have those conversations because, as you said, it's so important. Um, and if I can't figure it out, I rely on them to figure it out. That's helpful. And you just touched on something that I also had a question about formula versus breast milk. And then if the mom is breastfeeding, like I did, what she is or is not eating. So in those early months before you're introducing any other foods to your baby, where do you fall on that about um, is breast milk better or is formula better? And if the mom is breastfeeding, whether or not an elimination diet for the mom is a viable path forward to help with the baby's eczema. Yeah, exactly. The, I mean, I think breastfeeding, if it can be done um, and it's working for the, the mother and the child, it is always ideal. It's very rare that, Rachel, that you would eat something, it would um, get into your breast milk, into your baby, into their gut, through their gut lining to create a reaction. Um, it, it, not that it doesn't happen, but it's very uncommon. Um, and I think breastfeeding is so important because of the passive transfer of antibodies at that time, the immune system, the microbiome. Um, so I, I think if you can do it, that's great. There are some babies that are going to have gut allergies, like we talked about. That is for a GI doctor to sort of figure out what it could be and switch formulas to see if things improve. But there's a lot of kind of old uh ways of people saying, oh, well, your baby has eczema, switch the formula, or don't breastfeed, let's switch to this formula. And I'll tell you 99% of the time, we tell them at the end of all that workup, it's fine to go back to what you were doing. Unless your baby isn't thriving, it's have tons of GI issues. In addition to the bad eczema, I wouldn't necessarily start avoiding things in your diet because you need a lot of calories uh, as well to breastfeed and mm -hmm. you need that good nutrition, a vitamin D, 
zinc, all those important minerals and vitamins to go to the baby. So, and so I think that's important to know is if we really think that that driver is the food that's getting passed through your breast milk um, into that into that baby's immune system to develop that allergy and cause that eczema, which again is really rare. They, when you avoid that, if that's really the main driver, they should get a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's tough. There's a lot of help out there from other people that have done different things. And I always tell families, like I, I love support groups and I love that families can, can help each other and can give each other support. I think that's so important, but you also have to understand that everybody's eczema is different. Everybody, your baby's immune system's different. Your immune system's different or what have you. So it, it's tough. It's tough. So all of us who have babies with eczema, somebody has told us, if not multiple people, don't worry, he or she will grow out of it. And so then I walk into the pediatric dermatologist's office. I walk into like your office and I say, do you think she'll grow out of it? How do you manage that question? That is changing as well in the literature that we have available to us. So we used to say about 80, 85% of babies, and hopefully by the time they're in middle school or high school, this is going to be gone maybe sooner. There's a lot more better data going out that it's it's probably more like 50% of patients will get better or grow out of it. It's probably not more like 85%, but there are patterns. So some kids will get better and then just have very mild eczema throughout childhood and early adulthood. So it won't be as bad as it is in, as an infant. There are some that will completely grow out of it, like you said, and we hear that a lot in families. Like I'm seeing one baby that's really severe, but then the mom says my other child grew out of it by age two. I hear that a lot. So there is always the chance. If your baby's really severe and has a lot of problems related to to being atopic, I, I do tend to worry a little bit more, especially if you have a strong family history that there's gonna be more to come. Um, if if not, and if they're if you're if they're mild and let's say you're using you know, the prescribed treatment and, and your baby's clear most of the time, I tend to really worry less, honestly. And so those first, you know, tries at treatment and, and my experiences with the baby sometimes bias me as to, to what I feel might happen, but we really are pretty bad at predicting. I think we're going to know a lot more in another few years um, about the role of bacteria, about the role of all the, what we call the microbiome, the good bacteria on babies and how we might be able to change that. But I'm really excited that some of these medications that are going to come down to the younger age groups, like like your daughter's age, are really going to help change that, that um, we might be able to reverse this this march um, or change the severity. Even if someone is going to be severe, maybe we can limit that like psoriasis. You can go on psoriasis drugs now and be clear for most of the time. And that's amazing. And I, I think honestly think eczema is going to follow in that footsteps. So for those families that don't grow out of it. Their child doesn't grow out of it. I think there's a huge amount of hope. Mm. Thank you so much. I learned a lot. Thank you. I did too. Thanks Thanks. so much. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Eczema Out Loud. You can visit the National Eczema Association at www.nationaleczema.org. If you have feedback on this episode, or you'd like to send in a suggestion for a future episode, you can email us at podcasts at nationaleczema.org.